Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Amen. Hi, everyone. So good to be with you. Thankful that you are here. Those of you, of course, watching online, thank you guys as well. And uh, we are, are you all ready to go? All right, good. Uh, Yes, Uh, today is week number three in this series that we're calling What Now? And to begin, I just want to show you a graphic that I actually showed you a couple weeks ago um, that when we started asking this question, what now? And what now is a question that I think a lot of us have probably asked in some form or fashion over the last few months and about pretty much everything. So what do we do now, right? And as a church, we've been asking this question and I mentioned three things. I mentioned prayer, community, and, and mission, that we couldn't push pause on these three things, right? That we had to figure out how to continue to lean into these things. And we need to dream and get a, a bit of apostolic genius, if you will, about what to do now in this season that we're in. And so last week we talked about prayer and many of us prayed this week, which was a beautiful thing and it was a powerful thing. We believe in prayer. And today I'm talking about community, and I'm going to let you sit on pins and needles to kind of figure out what we might talk about next week. (laughs) Just, you just have to show up to find out. If you don't know what we're talking about next week, I want to invite you to church right now to show up and kind of, you know, look at the screen. I don't know, maybe, maybe. oh, here we go. So uh, obviously today we want to invite you to consider getting plugged into a connect group. But beyond that, I want to talk about community. Because for me, when I talk about community, um, if I have to be honest, you know, signing up on a card doesn't really give me community. You know what I'm talking about? Like for me, community is a little bit more about how I do relationships and why I do them and what's behind them. And so I think it's no secret that relationships and community is a difficult thing. It's challenging. And so I want to talk about it a little bit because, because this, this is a space in life that I know right now, the season that we are in in this world, that this is one of those things that most people are saying, eh, we've been told to press pause. And I totally understand that and agree with being precautious during this time. But at the same time, I can't, I can't continue to live in an in a, in a understanding of life without the context of community. And so I want to show you something that may give us some insight into how we do relationships with people. And this is, this is just a little idea called pseudo-community. On one side of the wall, we have a thing called pseudo-community. On the other side of the wall, we have a thing called authentic community. And I read about this in a book by a guy named Scott Peck. He wrote a book called Different Drama. came across this idea of pseudo-community. It captured my thought. And uh, well, first of all, authentic community, though, I think most of us probably could probably give some sort of understanding of what that is. It is, it is of course, where life-giving, vulnerable relationships take place, where, where people uh, are known and, and they know others, and it's true community. It's not perfect, but it's real, it's honest. Biblical community may be another way to talk about this, uh, and it's, it kind of describes this. Acts 2, Acts 2 has a great description of this. I'm just going to give you some groundwork, and then we're going to jump into this kind of idea, but Acts 2.42 has a great description of what authentic community could look like. And it says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Can you imagine having a community like that where you're committed to the teaching of God's word, you're committed to fellowshipping with one another, having meals together, and praying together? That's a pretty good start to community, right? And he says, everyone, everyone say everyone. everyone. 
everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I love this passage. It preaches in so many different ways. But notice the words everyone, everything, every day, all. There's, there's a bit of unity going on here, right? There's a bit of understanding that uni- unity, by the way, is the end of the word community. So it's like as we start to experience community, it ends in unity. And again, authentic community, it's not perfect, but it's honest, it's vulnerable. So let's talk about pseudo-community if we can. Pseudo-community is, on the other hand, is probably what most of us experience in most of our relationships, by the way. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's that side of, you guys know what pseudo mean, right? It, pseudo means not genuine, it means not real, it's sort of not the real thing, it's this sort of surfacy. We, we get what pseudo sort of means. You, you ever come across something you know, that's sort of pseudo, it's not quite the real thing. You know, every year McDonald's tries to sell us the McRib sandwich. You know what I'm talking about? And we all know that there's really not any rib meat in that sandwich. Sandwich. It's more like a McRib-ish meat. They're pseudo ribs. Are you with me now? They're pseudo ribs. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. We, we, we understand it, but them fries, right? Them fries, they keep us coming back. Yeah, they keep us coming back. Those fries are legit. Okay, pseudo community are relationships that are guarded, maybe for good reason, friendships that lack vulnerability, honesty, a place where we don't really know one another. But catch this, in pseudo-community, even though you may be around a lot of people, you can still be alone. Am I talking about anyone's life yet? Loneliness doesn't always mean you're alone. Isolation, loneliness, depression, they're all a result of this side of the wall that we're gonna call pseudo-community today. And this idea of pseudo-community simply implies that we, many of us probably already live isolated lives way before the wor- world told us that we need to isolate ourselves. And the good news, though, is that there's a way through this wall. There's a tunnel, so to speak. What if I told you that God created a way through this, this wall? And you're going, I don't know much about the wall yet, but I'm going to tell you about it. I'm going to talk about the tunnel, but first I need to talk about the wall, and we've got to go all the way back to the beginning. Now, I'm going to teach you a little bit today. Is that okay? We're going to get into the word today. Is that all right? All right, let's do this, all right? So Genesis, we're going to go all the way to the very beginning and go to the end. We're starting in Genesis chapter 1. Are you guys ready? We are starting in Genesis chapter 1, but I'll just skip through after that. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fishes of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Creepers, we have dominion over you. (laughs) So God created man in his own image, the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. So notice in the very first part of this verse, in verse 26, who is he talking about? He says, let us make man in our image. Who is us and who is our there's this, this is a different sermon, right? But, but, but we can get into it because there is a communal nature of God right here at the very beginning. We have community within himself, God does. He has God, of course, the Father, God, the Word, or the Son, and God, the Spirit. God in three persons, right? Blessed Trinity, for those of you 
that know that song? And this is important to know that God himself expresses himself in community. And then Genesis 2, God says something about his creation. So this is pre-Eve, by the way. This is before This is before Eve, and he looks at Adam, and God says something profoundly important in verse 18. He says, it is not good for man to be alone. We know this verse. So we're in the garden. We have something that God says is not good. Now, you've got to realize that when this is said, this is before the fall. This is before Genesis 3. There's something not good in the garden. We're already noticing there's there's a problem, and we haven't even got to sin yet. What's what's the problem? Because remember, he creates light, and it's good. He creates water, it's good. He creates land, it's good. He creates elephants, it's good. He even looks at cats, believe it or not, and says that is good, right? He says these things are good, but then he gets to man and he says, no, it's not good for man to be alone. You see, that's, there's a danger, I think, sometimes in the Christian world when we say, hey, all you need is God. Well, apparently God created us for something else too. Here's the deal. It's inside God's design that God designed something and said when he created Eve, he said, now this is good. So maybe we could say it this way, and maybe this is, maybe this is old language, maybe this is very well-tread well paths and preaching, but you know, inside each and every one of us, there is a void, a relational void within us that only God can fill. It's been said that it's a God-shaped void. And inside that void, only God can fill it, money can't fill it, success can't fill it. Nothing, not even other people can fill it. Only God can fill it, right? Inside each and every one of us is that void. But you can also say that right here in Genesis, you're also seeing that there's a human-shaped void within us, that nothing can fill it except other people. And interestingly, in that point is that God designed it to be that way, that he didn't even intend to fill that. And except in unique circumstances, he actually creates us with a need not only for himself, that only he can fill, but a need for others to fill in your life. Perhaps this is why a 12-year-old girl can FaceTime for an hour, right? And then get off the phone and start texting for another hour. <laughs> hey, what are you doing? Nothing. What are you doing? Oh, I'm just hanging out. What are you doing? Just talking to you. What are you doing? I'm just talking back to you. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> How do they do it? Because they need relationship. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see God creating us in his image. Remember, what is his image? It's a communal image, 3 and 1. So he creates us for relationship with him and relationship with others. Remember, I got to know how I do relationships and why I'm doing them. So this is why I go to this part. In Genesis 3, everything takes a dramatic turn. Most of us know about it, so I'll just summarize the story. The serpent comes and tempts Eve. She rebels against God's one request that she would not, and that she nor Adam would eat from the tree of knowledge. She eats the fruit of the tree, and then she looks at Adam and says, You hungry, babe? And he says yes, and he takes the fruit as well. (laughs) And once they ate of the tree, she says in verse 7, check this out, Genesis 3, verse 7. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Nakedness. Naked is just one of those awkward words in life, isn't it? Everyone said naked. (laughs) You guys will do anything, man. I love it. Sorry, that was immature, but I just wanted to see it happen. Um, So prior to the use of this word naked in Genesis 3, it's used one other time in the scripture prior to it. Believe it or not, it's all the way back in Genesis 2, verse 25. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So what does that mean? 
Well, it means at one point there were two people who were completely themselves, totally accepting, validating, embracing and being okay with who they are and who the other one was. Total honesty and vulnerability, completely okay with being fully known by the other. Then what happens? It says that their eyes were opened and immediately shame entered. And they're no longer okay with being vulnerable, which brings up an odd interaction, doesn't it? Can you imagine that first interaction where this hits them, that they're naked? Hey, do you know you're naked? Matter of fact, I am naked. This is quite awkward. Gasp, give me some fig leaves, you know what I mean? I want us to notice something though. The first result of the sin, of the fall of man, the first effect of the fall is how two people get along. The first result of sin and brokenness is the relationship between one another. And then we sit here in a world today and we wonder why there's so much relational brokenness, why there's so much racism, why there's so much hurt and pain when it comes to people and you have to look back all the way to the beginning of the story and go, oh, oh, that's right. That was the very first result of this. And then what's the second one? Well, if you kept reading in the story, by the way, I just think it's interesting that Adam and Eve didn't like, it wasn't like the result of their first rebellion against God was that they would go and rebel more. It wasn't like it was like, oh, we got to keep on sinning. Hey, let's say some cuss words. Let's up some fires. It wasn't like that. No, it was... It was something else. Shame entered. And then the very next verse in Genesis 3, 8, it says that Adam and Eve, they went and hid in the garden. Verse 10 says it this way. This is is Adam speaking. Adam says to God, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. So I hid. Because I was naked, so I hid. So right after shame, we get fear. So not only am I not willing to let you know me, I'm afraid of you. Not only do I need to hide myself from you, I'm going, to, I'm going to not only hide my nakedness and my vulnerability, I'm not going to show you who I really am, but I'm also going to hide my presence from you because I'd, I'm afraid of you. So by the way, the very same things that keep us from God in life are the very same things that keep us from one another, which are shame and fear. And these fig leaves have just become a really big wall. Remember our image of a wall, Right? And it's really just a wall of shame and fear between what I'll call pseudo-living and authentic living. We cover up. We can't let you see who I really am because now shame has entered in. I can't tell you everything because you might judge me. It's a wall of shame and fear. I mean, you think about our interactions, right? Just think about the most basic interaction. Hey, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm great. Oh, this is great that we're both great. Yeah, it's so great. <laughs> right? Right? Like, there's something deeper than great, right? There's something, and, and here's the thing. I don't ex- expect us to bear our souls to everyone who asks us how we're doing. But the question is, well, who are we bearing our soul to? Who does really know us? There's a way through the wall, a tunnel, so to speak, that helps us get through our shame and our fears. This summer, our family was able to take uh, some time and go on a little trip, and it was a trip that we've been looking to 
forward to for a number of years. And we went to Yosemite National Park, which is a pretty big deal, right? And if you've ever been to Yosemite, um, or even if you haven't been, you may know that Yosemite Valley is like one of the most beautiful places in the world. And uh, when you drive to Yosemite, though, there are, there are three different ways into the park. And they're all beautiful, but there's one that's definitely the most popular, that's definitely the one that looks uh, the most impressive, if you will. And it's called, it's called the tunnel view because you literally drive through a tunnel and once you drive out of the tunnel, you see the whole Yosemite value. And it's, you know, breathtaking is, you know, an understatement. It's unreal. It's, uh, and, and calling it that, is, it's, it's kind of just giving it some, it's shortchanging it. Like it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. It's an epic reveal. Well, I just want to show you a video that we took um, when we were driving through this tunnel. This is, this is, uh, this is not going to give it, do it justice, but it will give you a taste. My daughter Emily recorded this video out of our sunroof of our car, right? And I mentioned, you know, that God, I'm just going to talk a little bit while this plays, but I mentioned that God actually created a tunnel similar to this. Maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel, right? That is similar to this in which he actually allows us to get through the wall of shame and fear that keeps us living in this pseudo-reality. But God created a way by sending his son Jesus. And before you think I'm just gonna like sprinkle a little Jesus on this thing to make it just real nice and neat, I just really want us to think about this because in John 14, 6, what does he say? He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is more than a savior. He's also the one that leads us through this tunnel from simply being alive to experiencing real life. You know, in Isaiah 61, there's a great passage in which Jesus says, he says that I've come to exchange your ashes for beauty. And there was a time in which people would actually sit in ashes, cover themselves in ashes, and that ashes meant, represented their shame where they would literally sit in shame. And Jesus says, I'm gonna stand you up, I'm gonna dust off those ashes, take you out of that shame, and I'm gonna give you beauty for your ashes. And there's this beautiful thing that Jesus does where he says, you know what, when you come through me, I'm going to lead you out of this shame and fear. I'm going to take you straight through it and I'm going I'm to reveal beauty to you, which is a life of vulnerability and a life of grace. We go from pseudo living to really living. And it's through Jesus that we can deal with the wall of our shame, friends. I know many of us carry shame. We don't want people to know how we're doing because we're ashamed of how we're doing. We don't draw close to God because we're ashamed and we feel unable to come close to God. I know this is real. Some of us don't call, draw close to people at church or even come to church all that much because we're ashamed of the choices we've made or that we are currently making. Or maybe you keep a relational distance because you carry shame and you think low of yourself and you think, who would love me? and you believe that lie, or who would want to know you? Or maybe you've done something that you just can't seem to get over and you wear that shame like it's, like it's on your sleeve for everybody to see. I just want to declare that through Jesus we all have a way to live shameless, to live unashamed. Romans 10, 11 says, everyone who believes in him, who believes in Jesus, will not be put to shame. 1 John 1, 7 says this. I love this, by the way. But if we keep living in the pure light that surrounds him, 
So maybe the light at the end of the tunnel, right? If we keep living in the pure light that surrounds him, we, we share unbroken fellowship with one another. That's authentic, true community. And the blood of Jesus, his son, continually cleanses us from all of our sin, beginning with our shame and our fear. You see, the problem with shame is, listen to this, shame says, shame doesn't say you made a bad decision, shame says that you're a horrible person. Shame says not only did you lose your temper, but that you're out of control. Shame takes what you did and tries to tell you that's who you are. And see, the unfortunate thing is that many of us, many of us have been taught that you should feel shame. You should feel bad. You should feel unworthy. And here's the thing. There is a piece of that that has some merit. We should feel conviction for our sin. However, when you're told that you should feel ashamed and that somehow out of that guilt and out of that shame, you're going to modify who you are and modify your behaviors so you can become more worthy of God. There's a, there's a whole theology, if you will, out there that many of us have grown in, grown in that says you're nothing, that says you're messed up, that says you're terrible, that says you're not worthy. And many of us unknowingly operate from a shame-based theology that tries to shape who we are. And we see ourselves in shame in our relationship with God and it actually translates into our relationship with others. And there's a root of shame within us that anytime we do something wrong, we feel like we have to go hide again. Anytime we've messed up, we feel like we gotta go back into the trees. We gotta put up some sort of distance between us and others or us and God. But all, all shame does it doesn't, it doesn't fix anything. It just covers up who we really are. All shame does is ask for more fig leaves. Shame can't change you. Only grace can. Only Jesus can change you. Yet we keep going back to this root of shame in our life, thinking that somehow we can't do anything about it. You know, you're not loved because you deserve it. You're loved because you're worthy of his love. You didn't earn it, but you're worth it to him. So yes, you've messed up, but you're not messed up. You've made bad decisions, that, that, that doesn't make you a horrible person. I've said things as a parent that doesn't make me unworthy to be a father. I've had relationships that I've hurt people or been hurt by others, but that doesn't mean I need to go put another brick in the wall and say I'm done with people. God made a way through Jesus. You didn't make a way, by the way. He made a way because you're worth it. He looked at people and said, I want to not only have relationship with you, so I put that God-shaped void in you, but I want you to have relationship with others because it is not good. It is not good for people to be alone. And this is an act of his grace. Did I tell you that I was going to teach you a little bit today? 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, meaning he had it all, yet for your sake, because you're worth it, he became poor. He took your ashes. So that through his poverty, you might become rich, meaning you'll be given beauty. His grace, his sacrifice, it makes a way through this wall of shame. 
I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter one, verse 20. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. Now you're like, oh yeah, that's a great verse. Let me, let me just, I want us to remember this. I want us to put this in context. Paul is in prison and he's talking, he's writing a letter to a group of people that he loves and who love him. They also know his past. They also know who Paul is. They know what he's done. They know who he is. And we can't forget that Paul had done horrible things. As Saul of Tarsus, he had arrested, brutalized, persecuted Christians. He had done unthinkable things. On the road to Damascus, though, the resurrected Jesus met him. And it was the grace of Jesus that transformed the man. Then Paul writes, I will in no way be ashamed but my hope is to have sufficient courage for Jesus to be exalted in my body. Can you imagine having a past like that, but saying, I'm not ashamed of it because all it does is let grace, let the story of grace even abound more. You see, the grace of Jesus allows us to be vulnerable and seen and known to allow, to not allow our past to define us but to have the courage for Jesus to be exalted in our body. That takes courage for the world to know that Jesus has taken over your life, that he could be exalted in everything you do. The courage to let your guard down so that you can live free. The grace of Jesus gives us compassion for the stranger instead of fearing the stranger. The grace of Jesus restores the broken nature of our relationship with one another and with God, which we want our our tendency is to go hide like Adam and Eve did. And so, like I said, I need to know how I should do relationships and I need to know why I should do them. For me, relationships are something that I'm trying to still figure out in life. I'm still trying to do it well. And I have these moments where I'm like, you ever have the relationship when you're like, man, I feel like I'm putting all the effort in and I'm not getting anything returned, so I'm just gonna give up. Or you have the relationship where you're like, oh man, that one hurt me again, that one stung again. And you know what? I I find myself in that cycle of relationships probably like the rest of you. And I find myself hitting that wall of shame and fear. But what I'm finding is when I can actually just say, Jesus, I'm not going to try and go do this on my own because I can't make a way. Only you can make a way. You're the only one that I can go through here. And so, Jesus, I need you to be the author, the perfecter of not only my faith, but my, my friendships and my relationships. And so how do I root all of my friendships in Jesus? How do I actually start pursuing a life of community that is supposed to be like Jesus intended it to be, one that is full of grace and truth? On a very practical level, Who are you letting into your life by the grace of Jesus? I love what Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says. It says, discover creative ways to encourage others and to motivate them towards acts of compassion, doing beautiful works as expressions of love. In case you ever wonder what the church is trying to do, here you go. Discovering creative ways to encourage others and motivate them towards 
acts of compassion, doing beautiful works as expressions of love. I love that. Get this one. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together as someone that formed the habit of doing. I'm not talking about our gatherings, so to speak. I'm talking about pulling away from people because we need each other. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate that day approaching. God has created us not only to live with him, but to live with others. You know, one of the most thorough studies done on relationships studied 7,000 people over nine years. That's a lot of people over nine years time to kind of, uh, they, well, they found a lot of interesting things. And one of the things they found is that isolated, lonely people were three times more likely to die than people who had strong relational connections. People who had, even to the point that people who had bad health habits, bad eating habits, maybe even smoking, things like that, they had, but they had strong relational connections. They actually live longer than people who had good health habits, but no relationships. This leads me to a couple conclusions. The first one is this, it's better to eat Twinkies with friends than broccoli alone. <laughs> Come on, right? Ecclesiastes 4.9 says this, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. God has created us for relationship. He's created us for unity. And this begins with his own communal nature as God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it continues into this relationship that he's created us to have with him and to have with one another. And so here's the thing, my guess is that the concept of pseudo-community probably resonates with many of us. It hits home to some degree, to where we look around at our relationships and we go, hey, I have a lot of people I love, a lot of people that probably love me, but I don't really know if I'm known by anybody. And I don't know if people, if I really know other people. I also know that probably even deeper than that, that the wall of shame and fear is probably very real to many of us. So many people live under the veil of shame and so many of us live on hidden in the trees, if you will, because we're afraid to come out. So here's what I wanna do. Uh, I just, I mean, I just wanna pray. I just wanna give some room for God to move in the room. You probably weren't quite ready for some talk on community, this top on the, on, the, on the big understanding of how we're connected in this world, but I'm just gonna trust that the Lord wants to do some ministry today and wants to help you. Because here's what I know is that God wants to help you. Because God loves you, he has compassion for you. And he continues to say, you're worth it. So would you bow your heads? I just wanna, I just wanna pray for a little bit. We're just gonna begin with this. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Would you come into this room right now? We know you're already here, but would you continue to come? Would you start to fill this room with your presence in such a way that those who need to uh, some sort of, of, of help today, that Father, they would feel your presence even surrounding them right now in this moment. 
So we invite you to come, Holy Spirit. I feel like God wants to set some people free today. God wants to help some of us today. I believe that there's some that have been trying to live life, but they have hit this wall of shame in such a way that today you need to be set free of shame, set free of potentially hiding. And the other thing that I felt like that God put on my heart is I believe that there are some today that have relational hurt that have impacted you deeply and it's actually very heavy on you right now. And this relational hurt, this wound has caused you to put walls up between you and others and it's actually had you put walls up between you and God. And I believe God wants to help you today. He wants to remind you that he's created a way and it's through Jesus to not only freedom, but to healing. And he wants to heal some relational wounds today where he can remove roots of bitterness and pain and free you and heal you today. If that's you right now, I just want you to start just allowing him to start moving in your heart. If relational hurt is heavy on you right now. The other thing I also felt is I believe that there's someone in here who has felt very alone and it doesn't mean, like I said at the very beginning, you probably are around people quite a bit, but you feel very alone. And today, God wants to fill that loneliness for you. With everybody's heads bowed, I mean, I'm not even gonna ask you to raise your hands or anything. I'm just, I just want to ask you, do you need Jesus to help you today? The root of shame can be removed. There's power and vulnerability when we let our guard down, God comes rushing in. I love those scriptures. Two people are better than one. They can help one another succeed. Hebrews 10, this is not the time to pull away. So as a way of responding, I just, I just wanna pray. Maybe right now is the time for you to even lean in and say, God, I'm not gonna pull away right now. I'm gonna step in. Maybe even you, that visual for you, I'm gonna step into this tunnel that you have for me and I'm gonna allow the grace of Jesus to help me with my shame, my fear, and my relationships. And I'm gonna invite the Holy Spirit to do that work right now. So maybe if you need that today, if you say, God, Jesus, I do want your help. Maybe as a way of receiving, no one's looking around, just put your hands out in front of you, almost like you're about to receive from him. This would be step one today for you to just say, Lord, I'm gonna step into this. Hands out in front of you. Like you're gonna receive as I pray. Just receive this. God, we pray and ask for your help today. <laughs> to say that we need help with relationships is an understatement. So Father, I pray for anyone who is feeling a type of shame today that is defeating and causing us to withdraw from community. We pray as Paul did that we would not be ashamed, but we would be full of courage right now, courage to be vulnerable and to trust you. I specifically pray for those where shame has become rooted. If that's you right now, we, God, we ask, if that's you right now, we just ask that you would exchange those ashes of shame for beauty in Jesus' name. 
We only ask because we know you can. You are able, God, uproot the shame. Lord, we also wanna pray over relational hurt right now, wounds and overall distrust that some of us have towards some people in our life. And we just ask for healing today. We ask you to set people free, maybe of bitterness, to heal wounds. In Jesus' name, we ask this today. We only ask because we know you can. And Father, we just thank you for making a way through Jesus, not only for salvation, but making a way to overcome the fall, the, the, the results of the fall, things like shame and fear. Thank you for making a way. Thank you for Jesus. And maybe on your own, if you still have your hands in front of you, if there is a specific thing that you're just like, God, I need help with this. I just want to give you just a moment to just say that to him right now. God, I need help with this. It may not even be what we're talking about now. It just may be something going on in your life. God, I need help with this. Don't you know that God wants to help you? And the reason I say that is because he has always demonstrated that you and me are worth it. We don't deserve it, but we're worth it to him. So we thank you, Jesus. We praise you. And we, of course, we not only ask you to work in us, but through us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, here's the thing today. If you just, if you just, uh, if you just spend some time praying, I would encourage you to take another step today. I just said step one was to kind of open your hands and, and pray with us. But step two would be to come pray with another. I mean, we've been talking about the power of community, the power of, of, of even two over one. If you want prayer today, I'm going to be right over here. We'll have our prayer team over here. And we're going to pray for anything that you want to come forward with. It may be you have things that are unrelated to community. You just need healing in your life. You have sickness, you have need, and you want prayer today. I would say don't leave this place. If you're feeling conviction to say, I should go pray with someone today, do it. But I'd also say specifically, if, if you connected with one of the things that I said, maybe relational hurt, maybe it's really heavy on you right now and we wanna pray healing over that, then you can come forward today as well and we're gonna pray with you, with however many people that come today. And finally, I wanna mention that if you need to talk with someone about when I mentioned that God-shaped void, right? That, that, that place that only God can fill, if you wanna have a conversation of what, what it means to have a real relationship with God, a real relationship with Jesus, won't you come forward as well? There'll be some of us up here. We'd love to talk with you about what it means to live a life with God and to just surrender your life to him and to have that, really that, that life-changing moment when you say yes to Jesus. So if you're new here, thanks for being here today. Go check out the information table and connect with someone before you leave. If there's anything we can pray with you about, we'd love to pray with you about. Thanks for being here. We love you guys. Want we stand together? I'm going to say one final prayer. Everybody stand together. You guys are going to help me at the amen at the end, but right, right here we go. Father, God, we thank you for Jesus, our tunnel view, the only way, the only truth, and the only life. May we remember the image we are created in, and may it shape the way we live in the days ahead. We pray this in your name, and everyone said Amen. Love you guys. See you soon. We'll be right over here for prayer. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page 
at okccommunitychurch.com.